Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. What's happening guys, welcome back to another show. Uh, this week's guest is Lewis Craig. Uh, first met Lewis a few years back when I was lucky enough to visit Salford City's, uh, the class of 92's academy to make the first uh, Inside the Academy film for the uh, Inside the Academy YouTube channel. Uh, top guy, top coach, uh, he's had a great career, started off at Burnley in the academy, uh, then at Salford, like I say, and now currently works as Man United's assistant under-21 coach and also at Morecambe as head of uh, YDP. Um, like I say, a, a real like uh, knowledgeable, interesting guy with lots of great experiences all the way from um, you know the, pre, the pre-foundation phase, pre-academy, all the way up to uh, the 21s. And, and so he's worked right across the board and uh, obviously aspirations of working at the highest level with uh, in, in professional men's football. Uh, so loads of great knowledge to share, lots of great insight um, working across the board. Uh, and uh, here's one I know that I really know you're going to enjoy. Uh, the in the uh, My Personal Foot- Football Coach Virtual Academy goes from strength to strength. Really proud to say we've got players from all around the world um, participating in the virtual academy the world's first virtual academy where players get online resources each week from myself and coaches from all academies from around the world so if you're interested to find out about the virtual academy uh, just go to my personal football coach website and check out the player section and the virtual academy and also proud again to welcome um, clubs from all around the world we've had clubs from australia america canada um, in the last week or so on for the My Personal Football Coach Club Partnership. Uh, so that goes from strength to strength as well. And so, yeah, been away for a while, uh, back in the game now. So I've uh, got lots of podcasts coming up. So so stay tuned and I uh, hope you enjoy this one. So, Lewis Craig, welcome to the show. Hi, Paul, you okay? Very well, thank you, mate. Cheers for joining us. So the, uh, can you just give us a brief description of your playing and coaching journey up to this point, please? Yeah, so really brief. Um, like as a kid, did like the pre academy route, like all the clubs in the northwest, and then went south of Burnley as a ten year old. Stayed there till I was uh, eighteen as a scholar. Played internationally for Scotland in the Victory Shield at fifteen, sixteen through uh, my dad who's Scottish, and then went into non league like Conference North at the time. Um, so I was playing a little bit Conference North, but because of my affiliation with Burnley, started coaching in the age groups. Obviously, did like pre academy. Worked my way through to 16, so I was like a part-time coach. Then ended up as a um, full-time FP lead. And then progressed from there to assistant academy manager at Salford City, as well as the 18s coach, because that's where I wanted to work. And then now I'm currently um, full-time in two jobs, Manchester United with the under-21s Women's Academy, and then Morecambe FC as YDP lead. Nice one. That's I like that. See, nice, short, sharp, to the point. Beautiful. Uh, what, 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 what position did you play? Lewis? I was a left winger. I was a left. Oh, a bit of a cheeky, drinky ringer. I was to be fair. I was. I think from seven till about thirteen, I was kick and run. I was knock it around one side, sprint around the other because I was quick, and I had a little bit of a problem yeah. with like the growth spurt at thirteen, fourteen. That's to kind of change some more of a deliveries. Got to use the wand, haven't you, as a lefty? That's it, mate. She's going to go, yeah. she's going to go one day as a left. What have you yeah. got? That's it. And then move back to right, like so left back as it went on. That was, 
how it usually works. So tell us about those. Tell, tell us about those first coaching times then at Burnley. Obviously, I imagine uh, much different to what it is today in terms of a club and uh, uh, resources and facilities and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I think I think like the the basis of the club's always been pretty much the same. Like um, it was an easy transition for me. Like I got released as a as a scholar, so I didn't get a professional contract. But they were like, we really like you. You've done your level two. Um, let's get you in with the pre-academy. Seven and eight. It's mad because some kids that work with at seven and eight are now kind of playing and have come through the system, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, like my, I think my biggest thing I'd probably something to bring up was at the start, I really struggled with kind of teaching techniques to kids. So like naturally, I was always pretty good with my left foot. So to like say to a seven-year-old, go and strike a ball against the wall, they couldn't do it. I found it really difficult at the start to like break that down. Because naturally you just step up and strike the ball, whereas you forget the seven-year-old kids not done it as much as you. So that was probably my first kind of insight into like how do I coach. I think that helped me a lot, like with technical kind of skills and things like that. What was it like? I mean, did you just they just stick you in at the deep end? I mean, coaching seven and eight-year-olds a lot different to coaching, you know, twenty-ones and eighteens and that sort of thing. What were the main sort of things that you noticed when you went in there? I mean, what were the main you know pickup? things you picked up about, you know, developing players at age, the youngest age groups? To be honest, it probably was a little bit of trial and error because it was kind of, like, it wasn't as professionalised as it now in terms of, like, a YDP lead and FP lead and a pre-academy coordinator and all that kind of stuff. So it was going coaching. A lot of it was based around kind of recruitment. So you'd always have different kids in every week. Like, but then also I worked a lot in kind of satellite centres they had in the local area of Burnley. So you'd go to, like, a school um, and they'd be like, oh, you've got these 12 kids. And you'd be like, oh, can you... Can you go and do it at this other at this college on a three G? Because we've got like a satellite centre here, so I was basically just bounce around doing sessions. Um, to be honest with you, um, and like I said, probably just picked. So I started picking up stuff from other coaches. So I think my first proper role there within eighteen months, I ended up with the under nines with a guy called Ishi, who opened my eyes straight away because he was like reading books on coaching and he was, um, like real looking into like research and stuff like that. He's throwing stuff at me. And I'm thinking like. Is coaching not just like putting the corns out? So um, that opened my eyes, and we worked with some really good players under nines. Um, and I started to get into kind of the system of like where you've got the old system, it wasn't the PMA, but it was like reviewing. You start reviewing games, you start reviewing players, you start doing the other stuff that comes around it. And then I started like planning and leading a little bit more. Um, I just started to enjoy it, to be honest. It's a little bit of a blur, probably, thinking about it because I was just kind of. You can do that thing at the start as well, which I see younger coaches do now. Like you do the sessions that you liked as a player. Oh, this possession session really works. And whereas I think, like I'd say now, I'm at a level where it's like, what do the players need? And and, and how long did it until you became foundation phase lead? Um, so I was I was doing from the age of eighteen till the age of twenty six. I was part time, so it was a case of. I did a little bit in Canada as a coach. Um, I had an opportunity to go full-time out there at the end of university. I was always part-time at Burnley, but I always did like the under-8s and the under-16s, which I found really kind of fulfilling because I loved the kind of entry level at eights and the pre-academy stuff. But then the 16s, I really enjoyed that group that I worked with. And again, that's a group of players that have done really well um, in recent years. Um, and then I was doing kind of my own individual stuff, my own soccer schools. I was working for the community programme as well at Burnley. Um, so going into schools, delivering multi-sports, that kind of stuff. Did a little bit of lecturing at the Burnley College, 
on the BTEC, that kind of stuff as well. And then also um, I ended up in Bradford for a year working in a pupil referral unit, which wow. I found another interesting job. So, okay, so like kids that are getting kicked out of school and have a lot of have a lot of issues coming into you and doing kind of sports BTECs and doing that through sport and in education as well. So that was a probably another one that I look back on and go, that really helped me deal with kids because I actually thought, Do you know what, football is a bit easier to work with than these types of kids. Um, so it gave me some good tools when going back into kind of the workplace and understanding that like not every kid's come from a, a good, solid, like secure, supporting background. They've got kids that have from all over the country and everyone's different. Um, and that's where that probably started opening my eyes. Um, but yeah, I was part-time from, like I said, 18 to about 26 and then got offered the, the foundation phase job at Burma for the year that I was there. And I mean, just before we get into that, it's quite interesting that because you talk about all those different experiences you had, uh, your soccer school, the community, working in the 80s, working the 16s, working in the referral unit, pupil unit. It gives that, you know, that's, do you, how important do you think that journey was in terms of where you are today, in terms of all those different experiences with your young players, young children, and all those different environments? Uh, how important do you think all those different things in terms of where you, the, the coach and the person you are today? I think it's huge because, like, from a personal point of view, like as a player, going back to that as well, <clears throat> my 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 family support was like very secure. Not in a way that, like, oh, I I was my parents were rich or anything, but food was always on the table at five o'clock. My mum was a housewife. My dad was a self-employed joiner. Um, we never like we were never kids that like got everything, but we got we had what we needed. So I was never wanting for anything. And then for to then start to see kids that have less than you or kids that have more than you, it opened my eyes to kind of different different social backgrounds and things like that. And then going forwards at the time, probably some of the part-time jobs and even the pupil referral unit job, I didn't really want and at the time didn't enjoy massively. But now looking back, I go, like, when certain things happen with players now or recently, I go, well, I can deal with that because I dealt with that in this way. And you, like I said, you just lean on more experience, don't you? Um, and I think that's that's helped me um, and probably look at it a little bit more positively now and go, right, well, that job was really good for me for six months where I dealt with a snail. So, like, other things, like, managerial-wise around around roles, like I said, when you're going as an FP lead, it's not just the coaching, it's, like, managing people, it's the logistics, it's can you manage your time because you're almost like a firefighting all the time in them roles, I call it, because there's always something going on. That's what I was going to ask because there's obviously... First of all, I mean, for, for many coaches, for most coaches on, you know, on, most coaches aspire to work full-time in academy football. A lot of coaches aspire to work for academy football. So what was it like when you first got that full-time opportunity? And then second question, and then talk about that, all those different, you know, parts that come with that job. It's not just coaching on the grass. I mean, is it as glamorous as everybody as, as everybody imagines? No, it's, it's not. Dog, I, I, I wouldn't change it for anything because I always wanted to work in football and, Still, I've listened to like a couple of other things recently where you think, like, yeah, you get to your dream job, and it's a case of um, everything, everything's rosy. But like with any job, there's there's bits that you do, and you think, I, I don't really want to be doing this. But like I said, it, it almost I didn't want to be an FP lead if I'm being totally honest, but it got me a full time role within football. So then I had in my head, if I'm in football, I can step up the ladder to where I want to be because I see my skill set somewhere else even though I enjoy coaching FPs from time to time, I felt like I'd done a lot of it. And I was actually going on courses and things to try and work higher. And um, that's just where I think my skill set is set. But um, yeah, like it, 
when it starts to take you away from the grass and you lose um, that kind of interaction with players at times um, and you're dealing with, like I said, other things that at times kind of take you away from... Like for me, I always make a point, like, if we're planning a session, that's the most important part of the day, the session or the game. Yes, we've got to deal with parents, we've got to deal with washing kit, we've got to deal with um, arranging fixtures, logistics to sort of trialist form out, um, international clearance for a trialist, like all these kind of things that come into the role, you get used to them, but you have to almost manage your time and go, right, at some point in the day, when we sit and plan this session for this group of players, this has got to be the most important part of our day. And that's something I, I want to probably, probably take forward into what my roles now, but then future roles as well. Um, I don't want to come away from, because I want, I want to be the best coach I can be. Um, but yeah, there's, there's them things that, that kind of come around the role, which... I think I probably opened my eyes more when I was at uh, I was at Salford, and then probably this year where I've had, e- had even more responsibility. Where I've seen um, it's the emotional involvement. Like I say, you get home every day, and you might not have like run around or anything, but you might be absolutely knackered uh, upstairs in your brain because, like I said, you're constantly on the ball. There's like things you got to deal with, and then um, last minute, like I said, parents can drop a bomb showing that a kid's not going to turn up, and it's it's all the same things that even super sounds like a grassroots coach would deal with at times. And what, what were the made the biggest challenges and what's like in terms of what, what was stuff like, you know, managing other staff? Was that, was that something you'd come across already with working in your own grassroots company and stuff like that? Um, yeah, I think my, to be fair, I was very lucky in my foundation for a job at Burma managing staff because it was actually, we were a group of mates. So the nines coach to talk, we were like, we'd go out together um, we have social events together and it basically ended up me being their boss, but it didn't really change because I had their respect anyway because they kind of thought I would get the role anyway uh, just because of how long I'd been at the club. So I found that really, not easy, but like we were on the same page because I think even the little chats where, for instance, you might have been in a pub or you might have gone for a game of golf with one of them, you're still talking about the same things. Whereas going into roles recently, you've got to get to know new people straight away you're trying to influence ideas and it's to get, again, it comes down to relationships. Like as much as you can get to know someone and manage them, um, that, that helps you as well, help their cause. So I think it's a little bit of both sides. I'm very much kind of, I want to get a certain standard in terms of the coaching and the level of coaching into the, into the players straight away. But it's then obviously helping them coaches realizing what level they're at. But then again, giving them your time and your care. So for an example, like last night, I've, we've, had a, we've got a new coach in where I'm working and he works with under-14s and I got to observe him last week. And instead of doing an observation sheet saying, like, um, do this, do this, do this, I just put loads of questions. So like, you want to talk about practice design, you want to talk about interventions. So all my feedback was just like, why did you do this? Like, um, what was your reasoning behind this? And it was interesting, sat talking to him last night he actually had all the answers I wanted uh, and he actually reflected on it almost in the same way and gone like oh yeah I should have done this and the, the area of my pitch was, was too small but the reason I did it was because of this and straight away I sat and gone, I understand why he did it now um, so that's that again like I said, it comes down to communication and uh, really finding time it's been difficult within this role again with, with Covid to actually have time to sit with coaches and, and be around them and get to know them more as people um, but that's a that's a challenge of mine probably going into the next six months. Let's talk about as well then in terms of you know practically in the foundation phase. What were you what what were you delivering to the players? Give us an, a taste of 
the uh, you know the methodology, the philosophy of the club in terms of foundation phase coaching at Burnley at the time. Um, we have to, like real key principles that start around hard work because I think Burnley's always been built on like you look at the first team and I'm not saying it's directly linked to the first team in terms of philosophy, but you want the kids that wanted to run around and rightly or wrongly, I think personally we we really enjoyed that that factor of it. Um, we went through a couple of different ideas. I remember one of the ideas we kind of sat on was um, we always had the, everyone talks obviously in foundation phase about like kind of me and my ball and being on the ball lords, but we're at category three at the time. We didn't potentially get in the the best dribblers and the best ball manipulators that you could find. You get maybe three or four, and then the others are probably more like kind of team players from from like a grassroots team, but they're very good at passing the ball. So we we had this idea around like, do we have a ratio of from nine to twelves of a creative team player, which still they still got to be good on the ball, but their kind of strength was passing and receiving. Because you do get some good kids at that age that can pass, receive, scan, do it really well, and they enjoy doing that. Then also a ratio of your squad that are creative individuals, so they were more of the dribblers. And then the recruitment too was kind of well, these creative dribblers potentially when you get to twelve and eleven aside, twelve uh, under twelve and eleven aside, do they become your wingers, potentially attacking fullbacks, potentially number tens, whereas your creative team players would maybe become centre backs, defensive players, holding midfielders, um, even like even like a striker because they ball strike really well. So that was just, and then we started to look at it and we started to get probably in the, every year when we signed like 10 to 12 players under eights so from the pre-academy, you'd look at maybe four or five being dribblers and six or seven being like these passers. Um, and it was interesting to see kind of how they developed through through the system. And then in terms of coaching, it was very much, very similar to kind of the stuff you see now, 1v1, 2v2, 3v3, small-sided games. I was massive on games also, I think. Um, the year I did the foundation for the job, they'd done the nice played 75 games. So they actually probably ended up playing more than, than training, but the variety of games was there. So we had your, your Sunday games program, Category 3. We had grassroots teams, private academies, but then we also created a Champions League on a Monday night. And the Champions League was an opportunity for the coaches as well to be like managers and the players to kind of feel so... Yes, they play 75 games a season, but they had these eight games a year, which were Champions League on a Monday night, indoors. In They had a really tight kind of 3G um, around the back of Turf Moor at, uh, at Burnley Football Club, which was like a probably less than a 60 by 40, but we played seven aside in there with big goals, so there'd be loads of goals. And we had Blackburn, Bradford, Preston, I think it was Accrington as well, so we had like a Champions League group. But we, oh, also so- we also sold it to the parents as your kid might not get on tonight. Right. So uh, even though, don't, don't get wrong, they were still getting game time week in, week out, everywhere else. <clears throat> um, and they were getting, like I said, the 60 games a season. But for these eight games, we said, if you have a problem with your your kid potentially getting subbed or not coming on, we don't mind, don't bring him. But and the, the parents buying was unbelievable because they were allowed to kind of be competitive that night, the parents as well. So it almost became like that, that um, grassroots tournament kind of atmosphere. And we had, like I said, kids scoring last-minute winners, penalty shootouts. Um, even, like, not not in a cruel way, but a kid crying because he missed a penalty or a kid crying because yeah, yeah. they lost because you've got to build that resilience in kids. Yeah, I, think that's, I, think, I think that's what we've... That's what we've... It's improved recently because there's more tournaments and stuff, but that competitive cauldron... Yeah. Because we pretty play prennies each week, picking the youngest age groups. And this, and that's, a, that's a really interesting... Um, project you mentioned I've never heard that before actually just yeah, doing it in just... you know, eight teams it's just fantastic because like I say Champions League that 
know, you know you're going to have top quality teams. It's going to be a tough game every Monday, additional to your, your academy game. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, no, we did it like two halves. So it wasn't like you four, 15 minutes and stuff like that. It's two halves of football, off you go. And like I said, uh, we, had, we had some really good kind of returns from it. And I remember like we did it across the age groups, nine to 12. So it was like a different age group each week. It ran on for like six months. I think only one, I think it was like our under 10s at the time got to the final against Blackburn. So we actually did like a pre-match analysis in the room before as well, because we thought, do you know, yeah, let's yeah. make a bit of a thing of it. Um, but yeah. also part of that pre-match analysis, even though we did like loads of clips on Blackburn, we got the kids to get up and talk about each other and how good they were. So like one kid would stand up in the room and talk about another kid and go like, what's he really good at? And uh, yeah, it was just a really good, like I said, and I also said to coaches, like coach it how you would want to coach, like if if you wanted to win a game. So if you need to change formation, if you need to go along, it was, like I said, it was, I think because of the, the tightness of the hole and it being 7v7, it became that real, like I said, competitive environment. And like I said, when you've got the local teams in the building, it's always competitive anyway. Like I said, in the northwest, you've yeah. got a lot of a lot of rivalries. Yeah, decent. So, so moving on now, because um, let's get on to Salford. Uh, that really interesting project. You you were up there. I was lucky enough to come up there and shoot one of the, the first inside the academy dock. It was, I thought it was really impressive the everything you create up there. Tell us a little bit about the, how that came about, that, and then a little bit about the project itself. It was just, um, well, you know yourself, like through Jamie Russell, I was yeah. I was on the A licence as a 26-year-old. I did part one. And then someone at Burnley got offered to do the ECAS course and for some reason they couldn't do it. And I remember one of the other members of staff saying it was really good. And my academy manager was like, oh, do you want to go on this? And I was like, yeah, but it clashes with part two of my A licence. So I made the decision, like, right, I'll go on this ECAS course. And end up not finishing the A licence, hence why like, so I've started trying to get it done now. Um, but yeah, I went on the ECAS course and you get roomed with someone. And like I said, for people who don't know the ECAS course, it was the Elite Coaches Apprenticeship Scheme where you, it's more of a self-development course um, with the Premier League and you, you do kind of different residentials around resilience and pressure management. And it probably did help me within the role I was doing. And then obviously you got, you got paired with someone. I got paired with Jamie Russell, who was at Everton at the time. And he, um, we also got closer and closer as, as, the, as the months went on. We had to do projects together, that kind of stuff. We always had kind of similar ideas. I just remember him calling me one day saying he'd been offered the academy manager's role there. Um, would I like to go there as his assistant and the 18s coach? And he, he knew from my chatting to me and little present, presentation and, and projects we've done that. That's where I see myself kind of best fitted. And it was a bit of a no brainer to be honest. I've been at Burnley for what 17 years as a player and a coach. And for me, it was probably time to go because I never saw that progression higher up there for some reason with new staff coming in. So I took the jump, um, left, was it? May 2017, started on started June 2017 at Salford and was presented with like a blank canvas because they had no academy. Uh, they had a first team that was in the Conference North at the time with Byrne and Jono um, and it was building the academy from like the values that they, that they have. So um, from day one, we just set aside kind of putting a, a philosophy, a coaching programme in place, which we believed... We strongly like getting to the, the third year when we left was um, we really strongly believe that our coaching program would put it alongside anyone else's in terms of the variety and the development of players through it because I think the players that came through the system 
a lot of them were grassroots kids at 16 and 17 and end up getting professional contracts or playing playing first team football at some point. So um, I think that's what it, it could have been judged on. And then a lot of kids that come out of the system have gone into university, gone into uh, America, things like that. Um, they're still playing the game. So, so, so people don't know, obviously Salford City is the, the team of the class of 92, Gary Neville and Skulls and Atal, all those guys. So tell us a little bit. So obviously they were they were really big on that community thing, wasn't it? Bringing players in from the community that maybe missed the opportunity with other academies and stuff like that. Tell us about then. Tell us a bit about that, that philosophy you built. You know how are you gonna how did you get the best out of these players and get those remarkable outcomes in that short time? Um, we we just for me we built a program built around what what they needed and what type of players you get. You're not you're not going to get category one players that come out and technically outstanding. You're going to get but then you look at the more I got to understand the League One, League Two, the conference levels, it was if you can do certain things really well and back that out with like hard work and perseverance and things like that, then that'll help. But I think all our all our sessions and coaching cycles and development plans were always built around like a psychological element. And so I look at for instance, I think the day you came in, the IDP work which was ingrained from day one. So it wasn't it was like you Turn up, you might think lads are kind of doing their own thing, but they were doing very good things on their own. Like, and because that had been done over three years, that got handed down every year. So the next players that came yeah. in were like, "What's this individual stuff you do on your own? We just get like a bag of balls and cones and do what." But the lads, like, I think of last year, some of the sessions I was seeing were unbelievable. Some lads would go and find their own sessions, or they'd take a session you've done and develop it further, or they'd link it more to kind of how they played. So we worked. We got to a stage last year where we worked kind of development early in the week and performance later in the week so for instance how we worked on a, a six to seven week cycle was we worked through positions so say things we're doing six weeks and in possession we'd work right week one is goalkeepers so goalkeepers are in the sessions <clears throat> monday tuesday is if it's in possession goalkeepers it's playing out from the back it's first third possession it's playing in through and around stuff like that so where everything was from from the keepers, um, and then what had happened Monday would be very much like technical uh, into some sort of game related practice into games, and then Tuesday would be similar again, building on the Monday. So we'd repeat a lot of sessions, so kids got used to because for me we didn't need to make loads of sessions. But then there'd be a position specific element on the Tuesday, which would be very coach led for an hour and a half, and that would be linked in so it wouldn't just be goalkeepers on their own it would be that might be goalkeepers with centre backs that might be goalkeepers with strikers because they're trying to hit the strikers so then the first two days are very much development 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 analysis in there because it was a goalkeeper's week they would get sat down with the first team analyst and showed similar clips from um, from the first team into, and how it, how it links into them because we played a similar style and a similar formation which helped lads progress and then Wednesday and Friday before Saturday would become our performance week. But how we worked was we'd do all our match prep on a Wednesday and how we'd set it up was the opposition we're playing against in training. We were playing 11 v 11. We would do it as a whole part, whole session. So we'd start with 11 v 11. So say, for instance, we were playing Bradford on the sat on the Saturday. One coach would take Bradford's team, play them how Bradford play, we'd play us. The players are all mixed in. For instance, if they had a quick left winger, we'd use our quick left winger to kind of replicate that. Um, and that'd be a whole part also we're doing 11 v 11 break into maybe some smaller unit parts which help us in the game back into 11 v 11 that would all get filmed and then sent to the players in terms of clips so 
if we put that quick winger up against our fullback, we wanted the fullback to see what he looked like playing against it, rather than I think a lot of match prep in the past has been let's show players a lot of clips of a, a player that they're going to play against, right? Go and deal with it. Well, we were like, well, why not let the kid feel it in the session mm. and understand how to deal with it? So that was something then they could use them clips whenever they wanted. And then Friday was more like year old school kind of game prep, set pieces, patterns, five aside, just to get the kids ready for for Saturday. But we we also argued as well around how much that is developing the kids because you can argue that it's development all the way through the week because you're teaching the kids how to learn to win a game at 16, 17, 18 years old. And that model kind of stuck with us throughout. But also within there, you had on the Wednesday, like the IDP stuff that we continued, like you said. Um, and then what would happen, so say you've gone from goalkeepers week one into you're going to centre-backs week two, you're almost working on the same topic. So your goalkeepers have still got to play into your centre-back, but you're just slowly working your way up the pitch um, into midfielders, into full-backs, into wide players, and then into strikers. And that would get reviewed, and the players would actually get a review every four weeks. So within that period, so on the week one where the goalkeepers were in and they were like the focus for the whole week they would get their reviews in that week um, and it helped us again like I've worked at plenty of clubs where you get to week six and everyone's got to get a review and you end up on to do a review for 20, 30, 40 players and you're never going to give as much time to the last review as you've done with the first review so yeah. we broke it down into segments yes you're reviewing every week but you're reviewing two or three players and that really helped me to sit down with players and go, right, let's have a look at you and where you can go. And I think <clears throat> it'd be interesting to get players kind of more, more player feedback on it and what they thought because um, it was something like I said, me and Jamie probably trial and error and built and built from experiences but then also find out what the, what the lads wanted. Because that's what I was going to ask you, how how challenging it is, is to build something from scratch like that, is to build a whole, you know, philosophy and a curriculum if you like and and implement it and how much is was it trial and error and you know how you know how long did it take you know there's loads of teething problems I imagine um personally I probably like from experience I probably thought it was easier um just through the fact of like like being at being at Burnley being at Morecambe being at Manchester United like they've already got systems in place in terms of academy and that you're almost like if you come in and you've got a new idea, you've before you've even put your new idea on the table, you've got a almost like. Um, Sorry, I missed that. Could you say it again, please? Series one. Um, um, you've almost got to sell it to the people, like be, be friendly, uh, get to know the people first, manage a relationship, and then start selling your ideas. Whereas me and Jamie from day one, it was like kind of build it how you want. Um, and obviously we had we, we sat probably for a couple of days sat, we had probably too many ideas and it was like right let's home in on a couple and really build on them and we know that at the start we can't do this but in three years we can we can start adding so it's probably easier to do it that way and then when you start we started adding staff you almost add staff that, that kind of buy into your system but we'll also challenge it in little ways and add little bits whereas like I said going into a new club like I've gone in some some clubs and I think you want to change everything overnight. And you've gone into some clubs you don't understand stuff as much straight away. And it's like, well, how does this work? And show me how this works. Um, so yeah, I think it's I'd probably flip it around and say it was easier. Um, there's a lot. <clears throat> there's a lot of kind of in in house fighting and wars when you go into clubs and you're trying to change ideas and 
someone thinks, oh, what we've done for years is brilliant. So straight away, like, right, how, how do I change their mindset slightly to try this? And But again, like I take it from um, probably a personal standpoint. Like if someone came in and attacked what me and Jamie had created at Salford, I think I'd take it personally as well because we truly believed it was a good programme. And that's, I think, also that's probably a strength as well. It's like you've got to have that stubbornness and believe in what you do. You can't be just changing it every five minutes as well. You've got to go, do you know what? This works for us. And the, the thing we kind of really sold it on at Salford was the fact that it was right for them types of players. We're not saying that programme would have been right. You pick it up and put it into Manchester City or you put it into Arsenal or, I don't know, Exeter City. But for them kids in that location, we believe we we built a product that, that really helped them. And opportunity is uh, obviously such an important part of it as well. And I remember a really nice part of it that the first team t- pitch was very much next to the the youth the youth team pitch, the academy pitch. And you know those uh, a lot of those players went up and came back <coughs> down. And how important was that? And then also, you know, how did you judge your success in the academy? Yeah, no, definitely we um, we. Jim, Jim was on in the process. He changed the judgment of success every year, which I thought was really kind of clever from him. So we had um, in the first years, it was because obviously Conference North, you got the opportunity to get more lads in and there was a lot of kind of Manchester Cup games and, and things like that. Um, and obviously just because of the location we were next to each other, it did help. And Bird and John all were very open to that and getting lads across and, and, and knew, knew, knew who the kids were. As we then went through... And this is nothing against Graham Alexander. When we went to the conference and Graham Alexander come in, <clears throat> again, we had to win his trust. And I, I totally understand why. Like, me and Graham get on really well now and, like, he's gone to Motherwell and he was great for me in the in the three years he was there. Sorry, two years he was there. But um, we had to, like, win his trust straight away. And that was through helping with sessions, um, did sessions with players that had left behind our squads and getting their kind of feedback and their rapport. And then when, like I said, you send your first player up to his session, the kid's got to be good enough. And straight away we got that. And then it changed into a way where on a Monday we'd do like bounce games against the first team. And that's where we started to see where them lads were. And the, I think one of the struggles at times is like the situation of the first team. So if they're going for promotion they're not going to throw a lad in, whereas if they had a year where they were mid-table, you look at <coughs> a lot of academies that have productivity, it also comes a lot of the time from like where they are situated in the league and they're standing at that moment in time. So you look at the end of the season now, and a lot of teams will be mid-table and start blooding young kids, I think, a little bit more than the teams that are rele- going in relegations or no, potentially going for promotion. Um, so that that where the luck and opportunity thing comes in for kids because the kids were good enough like we had <clears throat> seven or eight boys last year who were outstanding and through circumstances potentially didn't get pros or left the club and went somewhere else um, but yeah I think in terms of getting lads in the first team there was always that that want to do it um, again I probably just think it came out of the situations at times I mean, so getting players in the first team and training with the first team, the pro contract is one. Are there any other measurables? I mean, how else can you measure the success of your academy? Particularly, you know, in that you're like you're there in, in a hotbed of football up there in the northwest, surrounded by you know, different academies and clubs and stuff. How can you measure yourself against those guys while you're playing games against those guys and stuff like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm a believer in like wherever the kid ends up playing into. If he gets anywhere professional that's not your club, then you've done your job in terms of developing as a footballer. But 
like I said, how Jamie changed it, probably coming back to your first question, was obviously we talked about like first team appearance and that, and obviously as they got to League Two, it was very difficult because you're almost trying to catch up as an academy and recruit stronger players earlier. But we kind of went off um, training minutes with the first team appearance because then they added a, like a, a 21 squad in between the 18s and the and the first team was also. Then we were like, how many? games could lads get in there so we had a couple of lads last year that played basically every game in, in the 21s um, so then obviously it's then down to the 21s and then progress them lads into the first team um, but yeah I think in terms of gauging it was more like I said Jamie changed it from rather than staff every year going oh we're not getting kids in the, in the door with the first team we're, we're going to target this many minutes but the way he sold it to uh, the gaffer because he had like monthly meetings with the gaffer was like well the gaffer was on board with it as well. So he's thinking, he said, oh, I've got to get 4,000 training minutes for these kids. Um, he's agreed to it as well. So over the season, let's look and look and look at getting kids in, in the sessions when we can, which again gives them more exposure to which, well, when someone gets injured or suspended or there's an opportunity there, he knows who they are. Um, and again, it's that. I think one of the one of the things you can judge on is the manager knew all the lads' names, the 18. So... To me, that tells you everything. We we made a little thing, me and Jamie, of like we told the 18s when they come to the car park in the morning, don't come into our office first, go into the manager's office and shake his hand. Just say good morning. Do you want any jobs doing? And lads, like it's it's a real subtle, probably silly thing, but lads potentially got professional contracts off the back of that. Because when it came to a decision, subtly and subconsciously, you're in the manager's head. Yeah, understand. So then uh, Salford unfortunately comes to an end. And then, so tell us about your next uh, coaching opportunity and how that came about. Yeah, so left there last summer, uh, got a phone call from um, Charlotte Healy at Manchester United in the academy uh, with the women's 21s. Uh, asked me to come in kind of part-time and help her assist, uh, be her assistant uh, in the 21 system. And since going in there, loved it. And at the same time, was also looking for something full-time. Um and I said the Morecambe opportunity came up to be to be YDP lead. Um, and the two roles would give me something totally different, but again, probably adding more to me. I probably had that little bit of a thing at the start of didn't want to leave Salford and enjoy doing 18s but, and leading, but I've gone in like an assistant with Charlotte, taking a little bit of a, back, a step in terms of I'm now working to just develop like individuals and be a bit more kind of the good cop within sessions as the assistant and and developing that way, it's been good because it kind of takes you out of the limelight a little bit and you see things differently, whether that's in games and in sessions and you can give feedback. I feel like I've got that respect from Charlotte where I can I can help her a little bit at times where in kind of the moment of the game, it might be like, I'll just try this. or And, and that's been interesting to me, especially with my air licence finishing off, just stepping back and looking at pictures. Whereas the YDP lead's probably been an, op- at Morecambe, been an opportunity to go and basically redo what I did foundation phase at Burnley but at Morecambe with obviously the 13s to 16s, but kind of learn from their mistakes of I'm going to be a little bit different in terms of how I work. I know how to work the role a little bit better. I understand the logistics of it and how to manage my time. How do I and where do I get my coaching from in terms of dipping into age groups? Um, but then also I feel like I've done loads at foundation phase. So I know what I want to come out of the under 12s. I've done loads at 18s, 21s and almost 13s, so I know where they need to get to. There's almost that, that gap in between going, do you know what, let's let's get in there. And I've, en- I've enjoyed it, to be fair. There's been been some good 
good moments this year. I think there's been some really good developments in the programme and added quite a lot of bits to it. So that's just so you're now head, you know, why do you lead at uh, Morecambe and also assistant manager United 21s? Yeah. Tell us about your, your week then. Just how does that how does that work? That you know that you, you're obviously a very busy man as everyone is in football, but you know, tell us what what a general working week like day to day is like for you. Yeah, so well, since July it's been seven days a week. Um and I, I took I made that decision at the end of the day, so I don't hold it against anyone. So I'm kind of on a Monday, I do a lot of my work. Because obviously COVID probably helped, so I do a lot of the, the admin laptop emails kind of stuff at home in the mornings. So from 8, 9 till 12, it'll be PMA, it'll be dear parents, it'll be trialists, it'll be sort of logistics, planning, planning sessions, reviewing sessions, doing reviews for both, for United and Morecambe. And then my evenings are then taken up. So like from 2 till 5, I'll be coaching at Manchester United jump in the car, go to Morecambe for six o'clock and then six till nine will be the training, whether it's 13s, 14s, whether it's 15s, 16s, whether it's games. So that'll happen Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, Thursday, I'll be at Morecambe all day. So that's my day for like meetings and stuff up there and that kind of stuff. Friday's just Manchester United and then Saturday, Sunday's just full in terms of Morning sessions, um, Morecambe, Manchester United, and then Sundays, um, obviously, your Cat 3 games programme for Morecambe. Um, it's very, it's, there's only little times in the season where it gets, it not gets too much, but there's quite a lot of things to be thinking about and doing. And you know yourself, like, especially in these roles, you have a to do list for a day, and then you end up ticking two or three things off, but you realise you've added another 20 as the day has gone on. It's just that never ending to do list. But um, like I said, that's still. The one thing I want to get into next year now, it's probably been a little bit all over the place this year with COVID, is having that time, whether it's an hour a day or two hours a day, where you go, right, nothing else matters. We've got to plan the best session for these players. Yeah. Because that, that's for me, is the most important bit. And so, tell us about the United thing. How did Charlotte, did, did you know before, how did she come across you? Had that connection happen? No, it was actually, I think it was, it was actually through Jamie. I think um, Jamie knew the goalkeeper coach with the first team. And to be fair, I knew of him as well. Um, but I don't, I think it was just a random phone call between them two, just saying, oh, I was things at Salford. And Jamie was like, oh, this has happened. And we've left. We've left. He was like, oh, is anyone available? Because Charlotte needs an assistant. Because her assistant went to the first team, uh, right. Martin. So um, she rang me. We met a couple of times and it just, I think it just seemed to work. It was like the idea behind it. And like, I want to work. I enjoy working with groups when you have them for, four or five times a week because I think it can have a real effect on them. I think still sometimes the academies, especially Cat 3, it's difficult sometimes where you're on for an hour and a half, two nights a week. Yeah. It's how do you affect the rest of their week because like, there's a lot of other influences outside of football whereas like, you want them to commit to football a little bit more at times. But like, I feel like logistically you can't do that. But yeah, no, I like the idea and since going in there, because I've worked with girls before in the past and someone asked me the week actually, oh, what do you prefer working? I said, to be honest, it's coaching. It's coaching. Now, like We've got some some unbelievable players in the system that, like I said, Charlotte's recruited, the club have recruited. So from like 16 to 21, we've got a group of girls that have got some real potential. A lot of girls involved in like international scenes and stuff like that. But the programme is really good. And it's been a good variety from like Charlotte and Man United's methodology to Morecambe's. Um, they're totally different, but 
for me, they're both, again, going back to like what I said about Salford, it fits for what they have. Man United, you've got one of the biggest clubs in the world. You attract players. <clears throat> you can play a certain way. Whereas Morecambe, you're a League Two club. You're on a low budget. Yes, the first team are doing well this year. You're, geographically, you're out of the way. Like, in terms of attracting players from other from like the bigger cities and stuff. So how do you produce a model that, that helps them through? So um yeah, it's been it's been eye opening. Tell us about then the first impressions you're going into United. I mean, what was that like? You know, one of the biggest clubs in the world. I mean, uh, no disrespect to Salford or Burnley. I mean, uh, so what was what were your first impressions and what are the what are the main differences going into an environment like that? Um again it's I might sound like I'm downplaying it a little bit, but I, I I don't get overwhelmed by stuff like that to be honest. And it's it's grass, it's a pitch, it's corns, it's it's players, it's human beings, it's staff that staff that are good, but then also like personalities might clash and things like that. It's not like you go in, it's all rosy. Um, but yeah, no, there's in terms of like you you see the the size of it, like in terms of the the infrastructure and like. The, the staffing and everything that goes on around you but again you're you're still in your little bubble as well it's the women's academy we we look after this bit and yes don't know, you've got support from all over the club whether it's financial whether it's HR whether it's uh, well-being that kind of so that, that was probably one of the, the things that opened my eyes was like speaking to the well-being staff straight away who were like if anything ever happens we've got this for you and this for you even in terms of staff and and probably like you look at, like I said, the infrastructure, it's, it is huge as a club and you don't, you, I probably still haven't been open to that probably because of COVID. I think if there was no COVID, I think I'd have probably gone and seen more and been around more at times, whereas everyone's in their own little pockets and bubbles at the minute. Um, but yeah, it's, you can you can see the enormity of it like, straight away from when you go in. Um, and there are certain cultural values and stuff where it's like, we want it to look like this and, and um, this is how you've got to kind of present yourself and things like that. So, no, that's been interesting. But where where they where's, where they train? So we train at Lee Sports Village. So where the under twenty threes play their games. So while you have like a box in the stadium as an office, and then there's um, training pitches around the back. And so tell us a bit about that philosophy. So you mentioned it. What's what is the philosophy, the style of play, and how they want you to develop players? It's very like I said, like kind of. Um, playing good football through kind of um, playing through the thirds we do quite a lot of stuff around build create the attack it's very like so it's very linked to like me and you like on the air license at the minute it's very much linked to kind of that that style and looking at you you're you playing through there it links quite well to the first team they're, them again like they're very much in their infancy of they've had an RTC for years under nine, so under 16, but they've only had a women's first team for three years, three, four years, and then the 21s has kind of been bolted in, so they're almost working on top down and trying to filter like a playing style and a playing philosophy into the other thing. It's more built around kind of a couple of psychological terms where they talk about like being courageous and relentless and things like that. Um, but the playing style is kind of coming out of that, and I think it's it's a case of that's still being built on at the minute. I've been in meetings recently where it's they're trying to drip feed that down to under nines, under tens, and under elevens. Um, but like I said, we're still kind of kind of looking at them things. And so in terms of like, how's your you know being now an assistant? You said you got the players there, you know, three or four times a week. What does that look like for you then? In terms of what are you? How much do you deliver and plan? How do you fit into that as a, as an assistant? 
Uh, it can depend. Um, some some nights are just like take take a session, uh, which is great. Um, I try and focus on there's three at uh, different times of the season. There's like three or four girls I'm focusing on at the minute who, on a Monday and a Friday, they get there 45 minutes before the session, and we do quite a lot of technical stuff around receiving because an interesting thing has been like how to open the hips and receive the ball correctly to open and go forward and then release the ball a little bit early. So I've been doing quite a lot of them bits for them, even little things like aerial receiving, like the ball being clipped out to a fullback, can she take the ball in a stride and drive forward? So real simple practices, a uh, bit more kind of technical and complex practices around, like I said, opening up and moving your hips through bits of patterns, working like one one on two and one on three sessions, uh, which I really enjoy. And then I do quite a lot around warm-ups and drills at the start and then to be fair, within the sessions, it's me and Charlotte working, whether it's a possession session, whether it's a phase of play, if Charlotte's working on playing out from the back, I'll be working with the opposition on on pressing and so forth. So that's how we, we kind of work. And then when it comes to game day, like I said, I preferably long-term, I'd like to lead and be in the technical area, whereas for me, I sit in the dugout and I see different pictures and when I'm called upon them, or if I see something, I'll speak to Charlotte. But um, that's been... Like I said before, that's been a great one for me to sit back and watch and learn and, and pick up bits. And then what about the planning? So how does that work? You know, how do you guys, you know, how long do you plan? You know, how much is it is, you know, reactive to the game and, and that sort of thing? No, we've planned quite a lot because we have had, because of like coming out of COVID and we've had um, three, three game weeks at times, we've been planning squads in advance in terms of minutes and stuff like that around. Yes, and see lads really good doing that kind of stuff. But then we've got um we work we meet every Monday morning. So there's kind of we go through every individual player, how they're doing, the plan for the week, who's looking at what parts of which sessions, um, the sizes of the sessions, the timing of the sessions, the individuals. We're trying trying to do more of that recently around like what individuals need more out of this session, etc. And then um and so as a pre-game planning, I work with the analysts. So we put together like the pre-match stuff. So I'll do clips on the opposition. I'll look at certain things and weaknesses. She'll put, put together stats and, and previous lineups. And then from there, we'll build a plan. And then going into like the the game, the day before the game or two days before the game, depending on how much time we've got, um, we'll start to work on them things within the sessions. Interesting. And so I'm switching over to Morecambe. Then that 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 role it sounds like you pretty much we've talked about this before you know being a coach developer is quite a big part of that role what you're doing there how do you how do you find that and what are the challenges in, in, in that I think it's like I've said I've took this philosophy from Morecambe took my philosophy and then got part time coaches who again you're trying to trying to sell a program to and and trying to develop them as well and I think it, again it, they've got to get to the stage that they feel like you care. And that's where I felt like last night talking about the observation, I got a real sense of like, yeah, he he's, he's bought into me a little bit now because I've tried to help him through a couple of bits. Um, I still think I could be better at times as that um, in terms of having them, them more personal conversations. But again, it's not, it's not been possible as much this year. It's been a case of you've got a coach and then go, you've got to stay in your cars. Whereas I do more of that. Um, but I think... Something from my point of view is probably going into over the summer and into next season. I want to kind of outline what we require as a club from the coaches a little bit more 
how it looks, have discussions with the coach around that and they agree on it. And then going forward, that's your principles that you always kind of come back to. So whether the session is good or bad or indifferent, you always come back to that that part of the coach and go, right, has it hit these three main criteria that we want in a more coaching session? Because again, that's totally different to what a Manchester United coaching session looks like. I guess a bit uh, of a taste of that then. What is a Morecambe session and what's, what is the, you know, the philosophy of the club or the, the YDP? Again, it's probably, it's probably a little bit more um, play forwards. Um, probably not so much like kind of through the, through the thirds. We we talk about, and it's not a case of, oh, it's League Two and they just boom the ball in behind. It's a case, it's a case of if you can hit a higher player, as possible, the highest player as possible earlier, then do it if that's with quality. So I've got this thing at the middle, like I'm centre-half playing long passes into strikers, can they drop it? It doesn't have to be like in the air, so they've got to win headed. So the quality of passing over probably middle and, and, and long range. But then also, like, we want to be aggressive. So we found a system recently where we've got a lot of midfielders in the building that we really like. So we've gone to a, a diamond formation, which helps helps them players. But then how does it look in terms of our playing philosophy? Well, it's still aggressive. So we still want the full-backs to be high. Still want to try and push and send the set, uh, the wide players the other way. We want the centre halves to be comfortable defending, whether it's two v two or two v one. So it's not a case of there's loads of cover, because um, again you're exposing to them things not just like in a foundation phase where it's very much one v one. You're exposing them at 15, 16, and eighteen as well, because again they've got. A, I think the way the the top game is going now, even you look at Champions League, people are happy going. You know what, one v one. Physically, I've got to be able to handle you, but. If you're going to run with your way, I'm going to I'm going to come with you. We don't need to cover because players are too good now. Um, and we'll, we'll find enough space if, like I said, if we're not kind of man for man marking at times. Um, and yeah, like we again, it probably built on a, a few little similar things to Salford around kind of hard work, industry things like that, where you want kids that that want to work hard. And I'm I'm a big believer. I think the clubs I've been in that have been very similar around. You want kids that can manage yourself and be more self-regulated and understand that it's about them and it's their, at the end of the day, it's their career, not ours. And the kids that want to work hard and commit time to it are the ones that will succeed. And we've had a couple of good cases of that this year where potentially not the best technical players have got been given scholars, but lads who you're looking at going, do you know what, you could actually make a career in League Two because you, you tick these two or three boxes that a Morgan player wants to look like. And what, what are these, you know, the measurables? How do you judge success there at Morecambe? Um, through obviously players getting the first team or playing beyond. So you're actually looking at the last couple of years. They've had lads getting the first team. They've had lads that have moved on and gone to other places. Uh, we're still trying around with little things for me in terms of YDP and from the 13 to 16, what does success look like? Um, but we work through... Um, we have a little bit of like a, a bit of a gifted and talented program as well. So we look at certain players and how we can how we can push and, and strive them, and then that goes through not just a case of like oh they're good to do a session on their own. It's within the session they're in, whether it's with the under 14s or the under 15s or within a game. What challenges can we put on them? So again, I spoke to going back to the observation I did last night and chatting to the coach around. We had one of his players was playing as like a ten in the session. He was getting loads of success. So it looked really good this session, but I said the kid was like a floater within the session. So how do we make it so he's the focus player within the session, but he's not getting as much success as that? And he's like, I'll put, I'll grade my defenders and I'll put the best defender on him or the second best defender. I said, do that, and then 
because again, it's got a link back to if he's doing really well on a Sunday against a team, the team's going to grab a player and go, go on man, mark him, go and deal with him. And he's got to be able to go and deal with that. Whereas if in the session you just had him as a free player all the time, you're not giving him the tools to deal with it. And then that's when the real coaching happens. So you've got him in a 1v1 now, or you've got him in 2v1 doubled up against him. How does he create space to go and do the same things on his, his learning objective, which is driving with the ball and sliding centre forward in behind? Um, and then that's, that's where you get a real detail of coaching. So you're not going out just receiving play. You're saying, right, before you receive, you've got to drag the defender over here. You've got to drag the defender under the ball. You've got to take him away to come back and get on the ball. You've got to time it so that you know the pass is coming into your first time to receive and, and get out of the pocket and break a line. So that's the next bit that we're trying to add, I think, at the minute. And what about you personally? And what, what's your aspirations? I mean, you've had an quite incredible career already. You know, you've had to work at some top clubs. I mean, you're lucky to be working full-time in football for several years yeah. now. I mean, what, what's your ambitions, what are the ambitions in the game? Uh, personally, like, I've, I never, like, make any kind of... Um, what's the word? Never, um, like, keep it a secret that, like, I, I enjoy working 18s, 23s, and I see myself long-term potentially first team as well. Um whether that's in a development capacity or in a performance capacity. Um, but I've kind of got to a stage where I'm not I have to get there, I have to get there now. It's more I want to when when I'm in these two roles, can I develop the tools that when I do get to there, um I'll be more capable of doing the role. But I do I believe personally I'd like to work with a team full time. So rather than being like a YDP lead or um, an assistant coach or an FP lead, like when you're doing a lot more logistical stuff, I'd rather be with a team daily where for me, because I like to plan four, five, six weeks in advance and we're going to develop yeah. some of this. And, and you get a better rapport with players and a better relationship with players. And, and I enjoy that. And I enjoy like the ups and downs of working with a player. Like I can be tough on a player at times, but then when you get to a level or you start giving back as much as, as you're giving them, then it's, it's an unbelievable feeling when you get to that level. So, yeah, I long-term want to work higher, but like again, if I was in a position where I end up doing a foundation third job again or a nines job, I feel like I'd be I'd be capable of doing it. At the end of the day, coaching is coaching for me. Um, but yeah, it's, I think probably more being on the grass full-time is is a big aspiration of mine at the minute. What, what about any advice you'd have for a young aspiring coach who'd want to have a you know career in the game? work full-time in academy football, that sort of thing? Um, do everything. So like like I said before, I'm like the pupil referral unit, the soccer schools, the individual coaching. Because um, I'd like to think I've got a good array of things where some coaches will go, oh, he's a defensive coach or he's a throw-ins coach or whatever. I feel like I've I've got a good knowledge and that's not saying I've just um, jacked of all trades and like massive. Now I think I've got some really good high knowledge, but yeah, I'd say do everything, but then also um, I still think there's that kind of little bit of old school. Like, I think you've got to be prepared to go and do the hours. And I think that's like I presented at a university the other year and I put like, like I said, they're my week schedule on the on the PowerPoint and some people looked at it and go, like, wow, like, is that what you've got to do? I said, for me, yes. I think you've got to go and do that, do the hours. And cause if I look now, like what, I'm probably 12, 13 years into this coaching, and I think on average I've done 10 sessions a week for all of them them years. I've not been a coach who's 12 years experience, but coached once every Saturday. 
mm. I've been coaching all the time. I think I'm like you get to that level. Where, yeah, it's my knowledge. I'm not being a professional footballer. My knowledge is good. I want to get my knowledge better and better and better. I think in terms of a session, I've got that adaptability now. So if something changes or something happens, you've seen these things happen before and you just jump on them and you naturally just kind of go with sessions. And I think you only get that through, like you said, coaching and coaching and coaching all the time. I think that's part of the, it's the lifestyle, isn't it? And the football coach, I mean, that yeah. sacrifice, working weekends like you, you know, me, I used to teach and then go coaching or coach and do another job. And like you driving up the motorway to Morecambe <laughs> from, you know, me or me driving around North Circa around London, you know, a couple of hours yeah. a day. It's part, comes, it's part of parcel, isn't it? But it's why, you know, we do what we do. Or that, you know, love, you know, love the job you do. I suppose it's worth that, those sacrifices, yeah. right? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything else. Like I said, I'd, I went through a period, like when I said about them part-time jobs, and it was nothing bad from my dad. I went through a period with my dad for three or four years where he's like, oh, part-time jobs, part just go and get this full-time job. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to do it. And to be fair to him, like he, he like pulled me to one side when I ended up full-time, but he's gone there, you've stuck to it, haven't you? So, yeah, you've got to, like I said, bang your head against a brick wall every day with coaching. And like I said, it, it's tough and it's... <clears throat> um, What's the word? You don't, you, you, there's a lack of like praise sometimes, and you've got to work, like I said, the hard yards in the dark and all that kind of stuff. And no one's really seeing what you're doing. But also, again, I think I always say that to play as well. Someone's always watching you. And it's mad like the calls I've had for new jobs, and I've had other opportunities in the past that have been like, you think, when was this guy or this person watching me? Coach, I think. So even the Jamie thing, like the Salford thing. That came out of conversations. Jamie had never seen me coach before. I think he believed in kind of what I was as a person. And I'd, I'd like to think that we built a really good relationship. Still speak to him now. Um, but I, I like to think he kind of looked at me and was like, this is the type of person we want in the building. I've, I'd like him to, to think that he'd say after three years that I gave him probably everything and probably more around the job that he thought I would. Mm. Yes, Craig. Thank you very much, mate. It's been uh, first class. Appreciate your time. No worries. Cheers, Sol. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's dynamic ball mastery program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.